Welcome back to the Todd Barry Podcast. It's been a while, I know. Sorry. Um, I'm not, I don't know what excuse to give you other than uh, I guess I'm lazy. But I have Liz Fair on the podcast today. I'd never met her. She's one of my favorite songwriters. And uh, she uh, also has a great new book out called Horror Stories, which I read in its entirety. And it was really good. And you should check that out. Uh, I have some upcoming shows that I'm going to try to slam out real quickly here. I have a lot of them. Uh, tomorrow, I think tomorrow, depending on when you hear this, November 15th, Portland, Maine, sold out, sorry. Saturday, November 16th, Boston, very close to sold out. Then I've chosen Brooklyn, White Plains, Portland, Oregon, Corrales, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, Columbia, Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, Omaha, Nebraska, Lakewood, Ohio, Ferndale, Michigan, Chicago, Oklahoma City. Then I have, uh, I think, Houston and Dallas and... I think that's it, but there might be more. Toddberry.com for all of my shows. Before we come back to with Liz Fair, Toddberry podcast t-shirts. Go to uh, Toddberry.com forward slash shirts. And uh, we'll be back with Liz Fair. Hey, Liz Fair. Nice meeting you. Nice meeting you as well. Do you think it's weird that we haven't met yet? Mm, should I think that it's weird I don't that know. we haven't you, met yet? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's certain people I th- would have expected I would have crossed paths with by now. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a pretty big world. <laughs> You're right. That was a dumb question. <laughs> Isn't it weird that you haven't met every single person right? in the world? I mean, like, All right. Well, when you put it that way, <laughs> you shot me down. and I deserve Sorry. That. No, I deserve that. Uh when did you get to New York? Last night. Yeah? Last night, yeah. How From L.A.? Mm-hmm. Good flight? Fine flight. Fine flight. With my bandmates. We oh, had really? a good time, yeah. Were you, uh, were you sitting up front? Nope. I was with them. Really? I mean, we were all pretty close to the front, but yeah. Because I read your book, and there was a lot of a... Uh, it seemed like you liked to fly nice. Well, but I pay for everything, right. so I get to decide whether I want to fly first or not. I mean, if when I do sh- stuff that people book me for definitely Uh but when i'm paying for the whole shebang i tend to not enjoy being on a plane anyway right so i kind of yeah i'm the same i rarely buy first class flights i'd rather buy clothes (laughs) uh yeah (laughs) that's a good option do you uh were there any celebrities on the flight no, you seem to think that this is a very exciting world that we live in. I just in. always We're think just that like LA. commuting to New York. I just think We're that LA to New York flight. <laughs> I always do the scan. I always do the celebrity scan. What's that? Where I just see if there's any celebrity. But I, but I live in LA, so I actually know them. Right. Yeah. No, we don't. We in LA, I think it's really nice because celebrities can be just people, and people can also transform into celebrities. It's. Right. It's just a sort of a regular thing out there. Because I've heard that about New York, where people say New York, everyone's cool. Like they just kind of they'll nod at you, but they'll not. Absolutely true. Uh, if I go to other cities, I'm recognized and it's a big deal. But if I'm in LA, there's yeah, like nothing. Little, like little rumblings, like you could see someone kind of just whispering. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Uh, so you're not a starstruck person. No. Really. No. 
feel are like you a starstruck I feel, person? Not I think to you a, are. I think <laughs> the line of questioning clearly. <laughs> I think I am, but not to like, uh, not like I'm going to go up to a, someone while they're eating and say I'm like their work or something. But, but think, of, think of how many people I meet, and I've been doing this since I was 25. So yeah. think of how many different celebrities, as people would call them, mm-hmm. are people that I've either worked with or met at occasions. Yeah. I, I don't see celebrity as celebrity, right. per se. But if I met the queen, I think I'd freak out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, she's uh, she's actually the next guest on the podcast. Is she? Damn. <laughs> I knew I came a day early. Do you... Um, okay. Well, you're not starstruck. That's good. That's healthy. I was... Uh, I had Cuba Gooding Jr. on my flight to LA last one. And I was like, oh, I wonder what he's doing in town. I was like, and, oh, he's going to trial for sexual misconduct. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's that's a weird first class flight to take. It's like <sighs> just eating your Sunday, and you're like, oh, this is this is not why I'm usually traveling. But um, I think we first met actually on Twitter. Do you remember that? Oh, we did meet on Twitter. And uh, I took a nice screenshot of the exchange. It was pretty good. I said, hey, Liz Fair, I just air drummed to shit loads of money. Thought you'd want to know. <laughs> And you wrote back, your bongo teacher wants to know, needs to know. In fact, your college roommate just called to say he's at it again. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's fucking, you could have just clicked fave and you really you went to town on that answer. And I, and I just wrote back, I can't argue with any of that. It's because I couldn't think of anything more <laughs> clever to say. I was, I was overwhelmed. Do you, uh, yeah, do you, do you write, to, do you like Twitter? Do you like getting into that? Or? I like to have one easy access portal to do all my social media-ing. And it's fun because I can stay connected to my colleagues that are out on the road or doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I I was never a Facebook fan. I never liked that. So I've just always been a more of a Twitter person. Short, sweet, snarky. Yeah. The, uh, the Facebook, It's there is a lot of like, I didn't know how verbose some of my friends were. Just like, pouring it out oh god it's so embarrassing it's like here's my entire life you know and now it's not just a holiday card (laughs) you can see it all the time and there's some people's facebook posts like you spent more time writing that than i've spent working on my act in the past three weeks it's crazy um so i read your book i finished it last night in a in a pub Oh, I like that. Yeah, it was kind of appropriate place to sort of. Yeah, it was. Um, I've been re- I f- when you first agreed to do the podcast, I immediately downloaded. I think I was on the train, and I um, I downloaded on my phone, which is uh, still sounds weird, even though it's pretty commonplace. So I started reading it right away on my phone, and I've been bouncing around between my Kindle, and my iPad, and uh, which is kind of weird that you can just pick up and it's like. The last page you read is on your now on your iPad, but oh wow, yeah. But do you ever read a book on your phone? Um, maybe like weird self helpy things. I'm trying to think of what I've read on my not all the way through. I never can finish it on a phone. Yeah. I prefer actual paper. I know. See, I feel the same way. Well, like, I get eye strain. You know, I have to be online for other things, so uh-huh. I don't want to also glue my eyes to a screen if I don't have to. Right. Yeah. I do like the thing I do like about a phone is or a Kindle is that you can, you can uh, like when I get a proper book, 
which I do love. I love going to bookstores, and I go in books. Oh, bookstores is where I belong. And then I walk out without buying anything, or I just feel like a little bit of a phony. But uh, but there is something about on the phone. You don't see what how many pages you have left. And for someone like me who's easily overwhelmed, it's kind of like I can just focus on this the sense at hand. Well, that's good. But uh, that works for you. But it still doesn't seem right because I do like the trophy of owning a book. Well, I mean, we shouldn't be cutting trees down, so there's that. Mm-hmm. It's just for me, it's eye strain. You yeah. don't get that. Um, I I think I probably do. I just I do sometimes have to. I do get hypnotized. I'll find myself being that person who I hate on the street, who's like, "You're about to crash into me." And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so I finished it in a, in a pub, and I, yeah, it was kind of cool. Just sat there with a glass of wine. I was like the, I was the cool, di- cool dude who brings a book to a, the pub. Oh, yeah, and there is there is that stereotype. There's that guy. You were that guy. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I got pretty choked up towards the end. Yeah, it's tough. It's that, that, uh, that, that chapter about the nursing home, because, mm-hmm. you know, I've been through that relatively recently, and it's, uh, it's brutal. It is hard. It's very hard. Yeah, to watch a loved one fade. Absolutely. Yeah, and it it just makes you uh it just it, I don't it's a bummer thing to talk about. It just it's just like it doesn't end well for anyone really. <laughs> That's the whole thing, right? Yeah. Like as you approach your uh, uh, uh what are we going to call it? expiration date as you start to depart this mortal coil. Um there, yeah, there, there are no good outcomes because we all have to pass away. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of work being done in palliative care and all sorts of alternative ways to spend your last, you know, few years. So I'm, in, I'm encouraged by what is going on in, in the, as my friend B.J. Miller, who wrote the book with Shoshana Berger called, um, God, now I'm forgetting the name. Uh, a beginner's guide to the end. Uh-huh. They're they're just hospitals. These kind of places were designed for functionality, not necessarily spirituality. And everyone at the end of their life tends to, as he put it, everything is really condensed and really rich with meaning. And it, it, life becomes less. Oh yeah, I got to do this. Blah blah blah. Just passing by you, and it becomes very concentrated and very emotionally compelling and I think to look toward a future in which we have ways to experience the end of our lives that have a spiritual component or Mm. some kind of acknowledgement of the meaning of it all rather than just the functionality yeah it's um it's I'm I'm not good with death like I, I definitely I block it out and but I also fantasize a lot about how people react when I die. Is that weird? What do you mean? <laughs> like I just, I will, uh, I'll just get into the thing. Like I'll just be like, I wonder, just imagine the tweets and the tributes. <laughs> I know. That's You're kinda, actually <laughs> <laughs> that's, like that's what people to... are going to say about <laughs> I can only relate to that in the sense that when I'm really mad at everyone or I feel like underappreciated, <laughs> I picture my own funeral and I'm kind of like, yeah, now you're sorry. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that, I mean, that's along those lines where I just imagine, like, people crying. But it's also weird about – I didn't plan on talking about death this much, but let's do it. Well, you know, the book Horror Stories does have 
all the horrors in right. it. You know, it has a little bit of many horrors that we all experience. So it's legitimate to talk about death, especially if you're still thinking about that last chapter. I also find, yeah, I also find like with when people die, like as I've had a number of, a bunch of comedians have died in the past couple of years and people get sad, but also people bounce back pretty quick, it seems like. It's, sometimes it's just weird to go, How, we're going on stage telling jokes like our friend died like yesterday. And does it, do you ever have that? Yes, it's, a, it's the cruelest thing about death, I think, for me at least, is that life will just go on. Mm-hmm. You're not part of it anymore, but everything will just continue on. And I think you have to kind of, I have to make peace with the idea of you had your turn. <laughs> you no, know what I mean? A, like, and that's hard for me. That's actually I would a good like, way to put it. I would it, like yeah. to live about 500 years. That's my number for what would be really? like a good amount. That's that. That would seem not too much, not too little. <laughs> 500. Yeah. That 500th birthday party would be fucking, <laughs> fucking killer. Well, I'm not telling in one of my age at that point. <laughs> Lady doesn't. Obviously, sign. the cells are preserved in some, I don't know, biomechanical way. And You'd be like, I'm 499, wink, wink. <laughs> exactly. I'm 49.999999. But, um, yeah, I, the bouncing back and also just even when I go to funerals and people are laughing, that always seems weird. I just, for me, I think it should be almost devastating beyond belief oh my god that's so mean no I, no i don't mean <laughs> that's horrible you I don't, don't mean want your family to feel that way you shouldn't want people to feel that I, way i probably came out meaner than i meant it but I, you just want to be missed you want it, you, you want to matter i that's, mean and everybody it. does everybody wants to matter right and i think i think one of the best ways to matter after you're gone is to matter while you're here oh okay so if you want to work on that, I would just suggest mattering now because then your absence will sorely be felt. Yeah. I think th- the one thing <laughs> is that I, it, it kind of sucks that you don't get to be alive to see what people said about you. Or does that not Why s- do you want this? <laughs> the, okay, now I can see that this is a fixation on your part, and I'm deeming it, Dr. Fair is deeming it unhealthy. Okay. okay we're going to have to work through this. Let's, all right. So what about your life right now feels like people aren't what what part of yourself are you not bringing forward that you feel is you know not being acknowledged or appreciated oh see i it never occurred to me to think of it in the sense that you're talking where thank god i came to i am i'm glad you showed up because you needed uh, me now (laughs) so you know that's that's it like what is what is the part of you that you don't feel like people see or acknowledge it makes I mean, you want them to feel your loss keenly. Because um, if you're not sure they're going to feel it keenly and it's important that they feel it, then what is it they're missing about you? Okay. I mean, I think, to be fair, I think that I, I do, when I do imagine these tweets and tributes, they're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so are you looking <laughs> for more accomplishment? Um. You mean like career-wise, or yeah? Just do you ge- want more accolades? Accolades. That's a good. That's a good. How do you feel about like? Are you? I got lucky. I got accolades, pretty big ones, pretty early on. So I got to grow up as an adult. I mean, there was definitely downsides. Everyone can talk about me and say really mean things about me publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the press in Chicago pretty much always reviews me badly every time I come home. Oh <laughs> so, really? So I get to spend my trips home like having people feel. <laughs> 
just point out like, sorry about that trib review or sorry about that Sun-Times thing. So that sucks. But one of the things I did get lucky with was that I got acknowledgement and accolades early on. Right. So that kind of thing got taken care of. Now we can talk about like whether my personal life is any good, which it kind of isn't. And partially because I think as a public figure and people look at you differently and they Mm -hmm. assume things about you that may or may not be true. And I think it's hard for me in personal relationships, both friendships and otherwise, to reconcile what my experience of my career has been versus Mm -hmm. what the public's perception of it has been. Right. So that's that's kind of what I feel that in my funeral, I'd like people to be mourning my actual self, you know, not just the artist. Okay. And I hope I've made enough close relationships and connections that that can happen. And I sort of tend to work on that. Even though I spend most of my time working on my career, when I think about stuff like that, I think about hopefully being also having had, you know, a. I guess my fantasy of my older age is that I'm some lady in like a sweater set who's got the house on the lake that the family always comes to every summer. Mm-hmm. And the poignancy of like, mom, we should sell it. No, no. You know, like <laughs> that's my fantasy. So that's kind of a weird fantasy to have. I like that. A lot of people would probably fantasize about being on stage. So, Yeah, I don't know. Um I mean, I guess it's romantic when someone actually dies literally on stage, but at the oh same God, time... Oh, God, do people die on stage? I Have you that, ever uh, seen anyone die on stage? No, but I mean, I think that guy... Was I feel a, like you're talking about just, you know, doing a bad show. Like they oh, died no, on no, stage. That, that's a different... That death I felt many times in my life. <laughs> then you shouldn't fear this one, because <laughs> this one's going to be... <laughs> it's probably... You're right. Probably bombing <laughs> is probably worse. way p- more painful than just <laughs> dying in your sleep or something. I think what sucks about dying is you don't get to experience all this anymore. There's no more blue skies, blue water. I'm hoping for reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that Letterman interview with uh, Warren Zevon where he had that famous quote? Or was when, it, did he know he was... Yeah, this is Letterman had him on know. for an hour. Like He had the whole show with... Oh, that's wonderful. And he asked him just, what would you say to a guy who's in my position? And he just said, enjoy every sandwich. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. It is the small things. That's sort of what I tried to write the book about. I mm-hmm. tried to write it about the small things in life because I think they do end up meaning the most when you step back from the day-to-day. I think small moments, small interactions, small experiences are very powerful, and they carry a lot of weight. They're like neutron stars. They may be small, but they're dense. Yeah, I, I agree with you because there are moments that I – like yesterday I was eating alone in a Japanese restaurant and she gave me a frozen grape at the end of it. And I took a few bites of it and kind of just said, you can take this. And she's like, oh, was it too cold for you? And I thought that was something – that was just something sweet about her asking like, is the frozen grape too cold for you? <laughs> and I almost tweeted about it, but then I got, it's going to come up – it's going to come across like I'm making fun of her because comics just – that's the way we're interpreted for the most part, so I, I left that one alone. But yeah, there are things like interactions with drivers and cab drivers and stuff that are pretty, that I'll remember. For. Yeah, I like, yeah. I've had some really good conversations with drivers before that sort of illuminate an entire part of the world I didn't even think about, like wherever they're from and they talk about going home and I learned about Gobi Desert one time and that was fascinating and how the visuals in a desert 
there's no way to gain perspective. There's no, um, when you see something, you can't tell how, how big it is or how far away it is because right. there's just no, nothing to compare it to. And I was, and I, ha- I will have for the rest of my life this sort of memory of this incredible car ride and these pictures in my head of being in the desert and seeing it through this person's eyes. It was really neat. Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, can be, I mean, in that situation, it can be magical or it could be, do you ever have to, do you ever, do you, if they ask what you do, do you tell them straight up or do you? No, I always lie. I don't want to talk about my career at all. I definitely, definitely do not want right. to talk about who I am or what I'm doing in a car ever. It, yeah. No good comes of it. Suddenly they've got a band, they've got a demo tape, they've got a sister. It's disaster. Uh, if you try to do that with me and you're in a car, I will kick you very hard. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 all yeah. It's hard being a comedian because then there's all these. I mean, it's the same with you, but it's just there's these expect because I guess they don't meet a lot of people who do what we do. No, I think so. I think it's it, sort it's, of like if I sat next to an astronaut on a plane, I'd be like, "Oh my god, an astronaut!" And then I'd probably ask every annoying question that the astronaut's been asked. Yeah, uh, I'm comparing myself to an astronaut. No, but. <laughs> Well, that's a fun. That's a fun thing to think about. I would love to be able to go into space. That would be so much fun. Take that flight, see those colors. See, wow. The space freak you out, like the infin- infinity. The concept of infinity freaks me out. I don't think the universe is infinite. I think it's finite. Um, I love thinking about astrophysics. Physics. I I spend a lot of time thinking about that. I like to think about us in the middle of. I don't like to think about it as just like a, when when I I freak out when I see those actual ratios how far away the sun is yeah, from us. Yeah. when I see the actual distances that's upsetting but if I just hold in my mind our little solar system clustered in a galaxy and I think about the grand scope of it all and those birthing factories those big clouds that rise up where all the stars are born I mean I just love that stuff I love it feels like puzzles or poetry or religion to me we're kind of scraping the surface of reality and even though we use math and we use um you know numbers to describe what we're seeing the phenomena right it it feels like we're still sort of fishing around in the dark there's sort of a sense of we can understand it using our math language but still, these things exist without math. They're just there doing what they do with their their systems and their forces. Right. And it's it's beautiful to me. Even Yeah, I mean, even like the weather, they still don't nail that most of no, the time. No, I love it. I mean. My weather app is always wrong. <laughs> Maybe I have the wrong weather app. I mean, that's the problem. <laughs> Fuck, I got to get a new weather app. I'm pissed off now. Um so uh, this is sort of interesting. I, uh, I actually, I've only seen you live once because I'm always out of town when you're here. But I saw you, I think, possibly before you had any music out. Like I saw you, it was a triple bill at Irving Plaza with you, American Music Club. Does that sound familiar? No? What, how long ago was this? Oh, this is a long time ago. This is, uh, I don't remember that. Okay. But I you played mean, solo. And that would have been very early in my career. That would have been maybe a Matador showcase or something. Oh, you're, you know, it could, I didn't even think about that. I don't know if, no, if American Music Club's on Matador. And there was this also no. this, this spinoff of a Feelys band. 
then I don't know what I was doing there. Okay. And it depends on what year. Do you remember what year? I don't remember what year, but it was... Because uh, I've done, to my knowledge, I've done three solo tours. Mm-hmm. So it could have been for Whip Smart. It could have been, as you say, before Guyville or right around then. Uh, yeah, I think it was definitely it was definitely before Whip Smart. Okay, then uh, probably you're right. Probably it was very... I'm uh, pretty sure the record came out before I'd ever... I think I'd been on stage twice right in my neighborhood. So one, the record came out almost before I'd ever performed on stage. Mm-hmm. So that was a weird... That is that is not the usual uh It was not trajectory. the usual <laughs> path, and it was very, very awkward for years. I was crippled with stage fright and not very good at it. Yeah, I want to talk about stage fright, because as you know, I do hundreds of shows every year. Maybe you didn't know that, but... I still, I have, I have, I tell people I have situational stage fright. Do you know what I mean? Like. Sure. I think. Yeah. Maybe explain it. Okay. I, uh, like, if I do a comedy club or the comedy cell or something down in New York, my friends are upstairs or they're in the room. And if I bomb, they're like, I've bombed before. (laughs) But if you get like, hey, uh, this guy wants to pay this crazy amount of money to, and for his wife's 40th birthday party and you're performing in his backyard and it's like too much money to say no to, then it's then I get like, oh, because so much can go wrong. The pressure does increase. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. You would feel like, I'm not sure what you expect me to pull out of my brain, but it better be gold. <laughs> you or know, also, like, yeah, or also just the logistics or the technical aspect of they don't know how to do a show. Like, Well, that's always a disaster, right? You know, then it usually is accompanied by a big check, and I've never understood that. Like, it's either a big check or it's a benefit and you're not getting paid at all. Like, right. Benefits are disasters. Yeah, they hand you like a high school PA and they they say like, do you know how to work this? You yeah, know, right? Or they'll, or they don't. They, it's interesting because I just did a benefit, and I would. You just want to go while you're asking me to do the benefit. You can ask ask me how a good show is run because, you know, they'll have like, all right, we're gonna have a doctor go up and explain the disease to everyone. Okay, that should get them going. <laughs> <laughs> then we're gonna show a film. You know, we're gonna show a short film about the charity. All right, that's fun. Then we're gonna have an auction. Then we're gonna have three comics, and we're going to have another auction. You're like, oh, you're, this is a disaster. Oh, disaster. And people are drunk and rude. Like, it's just, I'm working for free, and it's for a benefit, and you're just drunk. and. Disgusting. Can you say no? Um, I, 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 I often will. I say I'm pretty good at saying no to things, but if it's a benefit, I'm available, and I just kind of go, oh, this is, I don't do enough for this world anyway, so. There you go. You're mattering. Why don't you go take over that? <laughs> Just, <laughs> I, w- I did something, which I'm not going to name, that I thought was poorly run. And it's still in my brain because I have that kind of lock brain where it's going to – I'm going to I'm gonna revisit that at some point. Mm-hmm. I've sort of talked to a couple of people that I know are involved in it. And like, what about – what about – because once I see something that I think should be fixed, right. that, that you just see clearly the path – it's hard for me to let go of that. I just feel like. Yeah. I find like a lot of t- performance problems are at a club where you're like, you could talk to me for 30 seconds and I can make this club 90% better than it is. Because you have the experience. Right. You've done it so much. It's just, you might be the most experienced person in the room. Right. I you am, know? And yeah. at that point, 
you do feel like you should get involved because you're the one with the expertise. Right. It just it just baffles me. Like if I open a music venue, I would call my musician or I'd email all my musician friends and go, what makes a good venue? I wouldn't just wing it. And it just, oh, now I'm getting fired up. Well, so many people approach it from a different point of view, and I think they have no idea the amount of production that goes into mm-hmm. entertainment. Like people will ask me to do benefit stuff, and I'll say, great, that will cost me $25,000 to fly my band out. Right. You know, like, thanks for this opportunity to, you know. So, yeah, it's. I think there's a lack of understanding or awareness and I think that's built in. Show business doesn't really want you to know how the magic happens. They just want to just dazzle you with yeah. the magic. And that's cool and all until you're having to make the magic happen in circumstances where it's almost impossible for that magic to show up, you know, with technical difficulties. It's nothing more quickly grounds your plane than, you know, mics feeding back or... Mm-hmm. Lack of grounding, shocks, electrical shocks, just terrible sound, inability to dial in a mix, all sorts of things. Yeah, I've seen bands where, like, opening verse of the song, there's no mic. And you're just like, come on, man. I I just imagine how, like, it's how angry the singer must be. Well, you just end up, you end up, you end up, what what happens to me is I don't want to do what could be really great things because I just don't trust if it's off the traditional lane Mm -hmm. that the technical side will be taken care of. Right. And then it's just misery for everyone. And so it keeps, it prevents me from doing things that are, you know, other, something like a benefit or a this, that, you know, something that could be cool, arguably, someone's backyard, you know, stuff like that. But you just know (laughs) <laughs> they're not going to have it. You just know what the headache's going to be and how awful it's going to be without the production. Yeah, it, and it. I mean, when you and do, and it's them, bad for the audience too. No one wants right. to hear that either. Right. It's, but it's sometimes you just feel like. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, benef- I don't know what it is about benefits, but uh, because it, they're they're focused on other areas. Yeah, that's true. They have much bigger fish to fry and they're trying to raise money and probably a lot of them have people that are suffering from the illness or whatever it is mm-hmm. they're benefiting so they're emotionally tied in right. and they'll do anything to try to help the people they love and they'll do anything to try to raise money and they figure if you just show up it's great that is true they do they always do mean well so it's hard to get incredibly mad at them but <laughs> but you're right a little due diligence of like researching what it yeah, takes to yeah. do these things i did one once where they were um she's explaining it to me and it was like a favor to a friend of mine for his his school his kid's school and they're like okay what we're gonna do is we're gonna um we're gonna announce that dessert is served and then we'll bring you on and and dessert was being served at like a separate area. It's like, oh, so you're going to have the audience get up as I'm walking yeah, on stage? Right. Like, I fucking, we're going to film you? No, you're not going to film me. Uh, uh, yeah. On do, and on and gonna on. You're going to do an hour and a half? No, I'm going to do 15 minutes maybe. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's cr- like, oh, my God. Do you do a lot of college gigs? Not anymore <laughs> for largely the same yeah. reason. Like, I tend to want to stay where they know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's fun to be on a college campus. Like, being with that kind of energy, I miss. But you just, I 
prefer to do my work where I can actually hope to, at some point in the night, achieve that transcendence of mm-hmm. the music. You right. know, like in my mind, if we don't actually make the music come alive and it doesn't actually sound good to the audience, it's a little bit pointless. Right, and it's all going to be your fault. Like there's no one going to be like, hey, I bet the sound mixer is, doesn't know what he's doing. True. Like, also true. I hadn't thought of that. They'll blame us. <laughs> right. It's kind of like, I mean, I've had, I've had clubs that like advertise me when I'm not there, and it's like, and then you get an email, hey, you didn't show up, and you're like, I could see why you thought I didn't show up, but I wasn't even scheduled there, and it's just, uh, it's hard being an entertainer, Liz. <laughs> what are you gonna do? But it's good to talk to other entertainers because then you can, you can talk about shit, and everyone gets each other, and be like, yeah. I I'd rather do my job than other ones I can think of. Mm-hmm. Do you? Um, oh, I was gonna ask you something, shit. What did you think of the book? Oh, the book. I liked it. It was very, uh, your attention to detail was amazing, and your memory is amazing. And the few chapters you want to hear some chapters that stuck. stuck. Sure. I really like the subway black, not the blackout one. The subway. I like the blackout the one. The blizzard. Blizzard. I thought that was. That seemed like that could be a good Blair Witch type movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it seems because it sort of has a. It would have a simple premise of like, rock star can't make it home to her gig. Well, anyone. How do you right. get through? How do, how do you find yourself in one of the busiest cities in the world and you're maybe going to die of hypothermia and there's no one to help you? <laughs> you know, right. like it was such a surreal cognitive dissonance moment for me to be like in an entirely different landscape. We should fill people listening in on the fact that there was snow blanketing everywhere and traffic was not allowed back into Manhattan. But I took a subway after a gig to get back to my hotel so I could make it out um, of a multiple statewide blizzard. I forget what it was called. Um, The great blizzard of forever will never be bigger blizzard of, you know like I think that that's, kinda, what it, yeah, that's what it was that called. could have been what it was called and or hank you know what i mean like and or a really stupid short name like pete Dave. the blizzard yeah exactly but i was determined to make um my next gig in virginia i was mm-hmm. gonna get out of there and all the all the arp airports except for LaGuardia were closed already and i don't know why i just believed i would get out of there but i love how that chapter book ends with the uh, New York City blackout where I'm about 10 years younger right? and much less responsible and much less, I mean, either way I'm irresponsible in both cases, but in that sense, I was in the same exact position, only I was thrilled to have everything go haywire and just to like skip work, like a get out of Yeah, jail. it's yeah. interesting about the subway chapter is that just because I live here, that's like, oh man, if the weather were nice, she could have walked home. You know, you were probably yeah. two miles, three yeah. miles from where you needed to go. Yeah. But with all those things working against you, it's it's really ter- like just the idea of New York being deserted mm-hmm. is very creepy. I mean, I've been through like Sandy here, and then and it's very just surreal and just yeah, isn't it? Yeah. I feel very lucky that I've experienced those things because that it's quite a um, powerful experience. To see something, it's almost like seeing a really giant dinosaur lying quietly. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it's so interesting to be in a situation that is so unexpected and so rare. Right. But then to die for it is not worth it. You know, no, like, no, no. really not worth it. 
That um, I'm sure I wouldn't have died, but I could I could have gotten frostbite pretty badly. Or if you you know, there's who knows who's on the, who is on the street. Well, there was no one. Literally there was no one. absolutely That's no one on the streets. There was no light in any of the windows. I mean, it kept blowing my mind as I kept walking. I kept thinking, someone's got a light on. Someone's up. One of these, you know, it's New York. Yeah. It never sleeps. I always have that feeling even like when I go to a restaurant, there's no one in there. Like, just statistically, shouldn't this be full 24 hours a day? Like, how, <laughs> there's 10 million people and, and you make pretty good burgers here but <laughs> I, I like to take it to the most shallow point ever but uh the um the blackout i was i, I was here for that blackout. you were yeah and i uh, in manhattan yeah and i remember uh-huh. my big <laughs> my big blackout disaster was do you remember i don't know if you remember something called fresh direct where you could get groceries delivered yes they um they had this deal and people were like it sounds too good to be true but it's a real deal your first fifty dollars are free, and you can order forty nine dollars worth of stuff, and they'll deliver it. And so I ordered food like the day before the blackout. I was like, "Oh man, I'm making burgers. Like I never cook." And then like blackout, everything gets spoiled. And then, <laughs> like, well, I guess that was that was a sign oh, that no. I'm not, I'm meant to eat out four times a day. <laughs> but uh, but I also remember people just like let's go get drunk. It's like I mean, it didn't seem. When people treat disasters like a joke, like I used to live in Florida and people would be like, hurricane parties. Like, I don't know, maybe be a little sober for the hurricane. Yeah, yeah. You will never catch me wasted during a <laughs> like major weather crisis. Yeah. Let's, stumble, let's make it hard to walk when we can't see. <laughs> that seems like a good idea, right? But uh, I think you and I were sort of, we were probably neighbors for a while. Were we? Yeah, I mean, I lived on St. Mark's and 2nd for a long oh, yeah. time. But yeah. I also lived, I think, on the same block you may have lived on, 11th Street between 2nd and 3rd. I can't, yeah, it was, I, the back of my room looked out into the backyard of St. Mark's. So oh, the St. Mark's, then you live Yeah, that's, so that's right. on 11th. Okay. But, yeah, that's, yeah, that you were very close to where yeah. I, do you, um, do you ever think about moving back here? I mean, I do. Of course I do. I would love to be able to live here. Um, but I also want to be able to live where the weather's nicer. I don't really want to. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want to take on the full-time winter gig anymore. I did it for mm-hmm. half my life. That was maybe enough. Yeah. New York, it, it is a thing where, like, I get sort of, like, uh, overly defensive of it. Like, oh, I'm a New Yorker. It's better here. And then I land in L.A. I'm like, Oh, okay. I, I kinda, <laughs> there are many it's this. better here. Do you know what I mean? Like right. it's probably also better in Paris. <laughs> yeah. know, like, or say I really enjoyed going to Hong Kong. You know, like there's probably a lot of it's better here. You know, it's weird you mentioned Hong Kong because I, I was supposed to go there in a few weeks. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, but now it. it's, there's, it's dangerous to go there. But Is it? Yeah, the ri- there's rioting's gotten really, the uh-huh. protests, I should say, has gotten pretty dangerous. But uh that's too bad. I'm going to Thailand. Have you ever been there? I have not been to Thailand. I'd really like to go to Thailand. Yeah, I'm doing a I'm doing a gig in Thailand. I have, probably have a massive following there. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be 90 American expats or something. <laughs> like, Who will love you and be so grateful and happy that you're there? It's gonna be your best gig ever. Holy shit, Liz! I appreciate the pep talk. Absolutely. Do you uh, do you worry about? Do you agonize over gigs? Some gigs. I do agonize over. It's usually for me, 
I have sort of two modes of being. There's the introspective writer person, and then there's the highly social extroverted person. And the latter is what I use to perform and to be Liz Fair and mm-hmm. go out and do all that stuff. Um, so if I've been at home and not working for a while, it is incredibly hard for me to get back into the mindset of the performer. Okay. And so I am definitely the kind of person that will just like cry on my way to the first gig, feeling like a complete and utter fraud and desperately trying to get out of it Mm -hmm. and desperately not wanting to feel that this is what I do for a living all the time. Right. And then when I hit, when I switch over and I, I hit that, other person inside me that's that stride of you know i'm an extrovert and i perform it's really quite enjoyable and i could i could you could say hey you're performing a huge gig later today and i'd be like okay what am i gonna wear you know like so it's just it's a matter it's hard for me to switch tracks i don't transition quickly or easily Mm -hmm. but once i'm in the mode of being one way or another it's very easy for me to coast along in that so if you do a, an extensive tour, do you, does it take a few shows to get to sort of hit a stride? Or It almost only takes one. Yeah. It almost only takes one to recognize that you're not going to die on stage and everything's fine. And mm-hmm. you've done this thousands of times. <laughs> and you will, it, it will be fun. And the real game of it is then I want to get to that point where the music is transcendent. So every night I'm gunning for having that moment of like uplift where – you feel your spirit soar, and hopefully the audience does too. Actually, I wanted to ask you about that. Do you, because um, what I do is so, like, there's no one who's like, I didn't understand your pizza joke. Like, they, there's, they get me. And music and, you know, lyrics are much more abstract. I mean, there's songs that make me cry that I literally, I might not even know the words to, and I've listened to them 8,000 times. Or I don't, I can't tell you what it's a quote-unquote about. Do you have people who come up to you and, like, say, Hey, that song of yours is, and sort of tell you what it's about, and they're wrong in a way, but. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty common for people to imagine that a song is speaking to whatever really touches and moves them, and I have learned not to correct them. Yeah. And not to say what each song is about. It's never a good thing. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I didn't understand that. And I was trying to explain what my art was about and uh, against my manager's wishes. They're like, just trust me. It's a losing game. Don't do it. And now I I really see the value in it because it's so helpful to them. Like they've had this friend with them Mm -hmm. in the form of my music to carry them through tough times or when they were. Why does it matter what the music was intended to be? isn't it more important that this is what it is? And or how it makes them feel. How it makes them feel. Yeah, that's that's what I, I was just curious about that because I wonder if it was ever like, oh, you didn't get it. Well, that was my younger years. For sure, I yeah. felt that way. I think actually becoming a mother might have solved that for me. Mm-hmm. A lot of things resolved for me once I gave birth to my son because I just understood things fit into a better framework for me. I understood what was important in life and what wasn't. And up until that point, I think I'd been wrapped up in a lot of like, oh, poor me, you don't understand how hard it is for me, you know, and no one gets my art. And right. They're saying mean things about me. You know, like all of that just kind of vanished once I became a mother and I realized that's just chatter. Right. Do you, um, do you read your reviews or do you? 
I do not read my reviews. Okay. Occasionally, someone will say, someone that works with me will say, you really should read this one. And I will. And if there are people that read them to make sure there's nothing hideous we're doing or right. there's not like a consensus that I'm completely messing up my career. Mm-hmm. So we do that. But no, I don't, I don't find that it helps my art any to be self-conscious. It's better for me to be an observant person than to throw myself any more into situations where I'm the one that's being observed. Yeah, I, I, I think that's wise because I definitely when I first started and the first time I figured out, oh, you could Google your own name. I mean, I used to do exhaustive searches <laughs> for myself. And then at some point, you know, then you, like if you'll be on TV or something, they'll post it on YouTube. And then, the, you know, the comments come rolling in. And at some point I was like, what is, what is it the benefit of me going through these? Like if I see four of them to go, this guy was hilarious. And then one was like, this guy's the worst. I know what I'm going to be thinking about. And it's not going to make me a better comic to just read You Suck. It's not. <laughs> but so I, I've I've gotten. But you need people around you that will tell you if you're doing something really wrong, like that that rape joke. Don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like you need someone to quality control. Um. Well, I don't have that person. Do you want to do that with? Sure. Uh, Give me a joke. I'll oh, tell right. you if it's good or not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you, you were, didn't you dabble in comedy a little bit? Like a fan, no. In your book, you said you started, you wanted to start it like a fanzine? Oh, I guess that's, I thought of that as art more. Like, um, yeah, we wanted to do, we wanted to do a funny fanzine. And he was the funny part and I was the art part. I mean, we laughed together. So I was a great audience for his humor. But I mean, we would just sit and think of all these stupid scenarios and start laughing about them. And just doubled over laughing. And it was, I wish we'd done it because it would have been really cool. But I ended up using some of that art for the girly sound cassettes. Okay. You could still, you could still fulfill your dream of starting a fanzine. (laughs) You're right. Everything old is new again. (laughs) God, I, I I mean, I had to be like going down memory lane, but fanzines, they were so cool. Like just some fucking guy made a thing, stapled it. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, on colored paper. It's adorable. Yeah. And then was, they were like vicious. Right. Do you remember <laughs> the, the shop See Here? Do you remember that? It was on uh-uh. 7th Street. It was a fanzine shop. But they had one fanzine. Is, they put a sign on it. He actually put, he smeared, sh- he smeared shit into every copy. Oh, my God. I mean, it's kind of like that's, gross. that's a little too punk rock for Wait, my Wait, really? Yeah. I mean, that's what, and they had a warning sign. Each magazine contains real shit. And it's Fuck like, okay. that. Are you serious? It's like, I'm going to, I'll buy, uh, I'll buy Reader's Digest. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> what is the point of that? What was the point of that? Uh, I don't know. I mean. That sounds like mental illness. Yeah. I, I don't imagine that that person's working for like Condé Nast now or something. No. But. How can you live that down? Yeah, that, <laughs> but I guess that's a that's a punk rock thing to do. Although that's not, yeah, punk, it's rock. not punk rock at all. You're right. I don't that's know. Not punk rock I know plenty of punks who would not even that's consider that's fetishistic. Doing, yeah, that's, that's like pe- some kind of like weird sexual, like an arsonist or something. Did you see the uh, documentary American Hardcore by any chance? I did not. Uh, sort of interesting, but it was just fascinating to me. I don't know why I'm bringing it up. Oh, because I talked about punk. Hmm. But they, there was the, it. Just it was interesting because they like. You know, we sort of rebelling against the scene. They kept saying Fleetwood Mac, like people, you can go see Fleetwood Mac, and then, but their alternative seemed to be like 
so we don't go see Fleetwood Mac. We just get together and, and we beat the shit out of each other. It's like, it's like oh, you don't even like yourselves. It's like, I think I'm going to that Fleetwood Mac concert. Honestly, that's usually what it is. And when you were talking about bad reviews, there's a lot of people that don't like themselves and it shows. Mm-hmm. And that always makes me sad because you want to you wanna be able to get people into a better frame of mind about something like music. You mm-hmm. know, what is the point of railing against and being incredibly offended by and horrified by something that is, you can turn it off. It's music, you know? Like, yeah. I never understood the investment in that beyond what it is. It's a beautiful, emotional, wonderful thing, but it isn't something to start huge right. fights over. Like, yeah, like Amazon reviews, I've, I've you know, because I wrote a book and people would be like, and I, some of them were like, all right, you're, I'll give you that one. Like, yeah, I could see that three-star review. You know, I could see I, – like shit where like I'm worried that people are going to react this way to this book and then you see that they do and you're like, oh, fuck. You're very um, – Dr. Fair is jumping in here. You're right. very concerned about your perception, people's perception of you. Well, doctor, um, <laughs> aren't you though? No. Really? Really. I mean in the sense of like did I wear the right thing? Is someone – sad because of something I mm-hmm. did. But no, I, I, I'm surprised simply because you have to get up on stage all the time. And I think like, I would think it would knock it out of you because that's what happened to me. Enough people said things at enough times of exposure. I just don't feel it anymore. Well, I think big picture, you know, I, I do get up there and I, I'm confident. I do know what I'm doing, but it, it, when someone is criticizing you and they're right, I find that that sort of uh, kind of makes you feel like that does hurt worse. Yeah, but it's the other f- kind of criticism I find more fascinating, where people are just like this book sucks. Like, what is your? Why are you writing an Amazon review? Like, <laughs> first of all, you're not even getting paid to write this thing, and you're just like, are you just trying to talk strangers out of buying a book that you didn't like? I don't know. It's like I go, to, you take a chance with any the movie or an album, you didn't like it. It's just weird that they get so worked up. Because someone, the girl they liked, didn't like them back that day. And so they get on and they, like, dump all over you. Yeah. It's always that way. That's why I was saying, like, when I had a child, like, I understood the human mechanism a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I watched it grow. I saw how, like, whatever happened to him that day made him act a certain way afterwards. It was just very apparent. A lot of times I feel like... Anytime I have, I'm angry or dissatisfied or come after someone, it's always because something is going on in me that they triggered. Right. Always. Yeah, I mean, and also just, you know, it was a time where you didn't, you couldn't tweet at your favorite artist and tell them they sucked that night or something. Ah, I mean, I feel like even way before the internet, I knew when people thought I sucked. How did, newspapers, maybe. Right. Uh, word of mouth. They'd come to shows and tell you that you sucked. I mean, there's. <laughs> I can remember early on in my career, people in the audience yelling, like, you suck. Really? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Were they there to see you, or were you opening for someone? Or It could have been any number of those things, you know? It's, yeah, I remember it. Yeah. Th- I definitely felt before the internet that I was informed of when I was sucking on a regular basis. Well, I mean, <laughs> wow. I mean, like, 
<laughs> that's great. That's just. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? I also heard how great I was in equal measure. So it, how can you listen to either? I do find, uh, I don't know if you ever know, I, you know, I'll sell merch or my books after the show and I'll stand out there. And I always feel like that's a real mixed bag kind of like, because that's when the backhanded compliments start heading your way and just like, yeah, you know, my, I think you're funny. My wife hates you, but I, I think you're really funny. Okay. You could edit out the my wife part and just go, I think you're really funny. <laughs> that's real. That's an easy edit. But I think they, people want to act like they defended you or something. So. Uh-huh. Oh, good. You, you, you're fine with your wife <laughs> over a comedian. I think that uh, says something about your marriage, probably. Oops. Um, okay. What else? Oh, what was I going to ask about? Decluttering. You mentioned decluttering. Yeah, I just fucking went for it. There was a there was a chapter where you cleaned out your grandmother's. Well, I cleaned out my closet, and I helped my parents clean out their house. And my friend cleaned out her grandmother's apartment. See, that's yeah. something I struggle with. Decluttering? I'm, ob- I'm obsessed with organization and cluttering, but I'm not an organized. And it's, uh, to me, it's like, am I fighting? Am I trying to be something I'm not or uh, sort of live up to some ideal of like, well, you should, everything should be alphabetized and organized? And, or am I a pack rat? Well, which are you? Um, I think... I think I'm a wonderful combination of all of those. No. <laughs> then you're human. Okay. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> We've classified you. But I do, um, I mean, I have like storage units. I have probably like three or four storage units full of shit. Then that had to have been a hard chapter to read because you know that like no one's really going to treasure those objects like you are. Like, right. and <laughs> once I won't you're even gone, get to them. You know, I don't I, even know if they're going to keep any of that stuff. 500 VHS tapes, like yeah, no. stuff that I, you don't unlabeled. You know, who knows what. And we're all moving toward a world in which we try to use and consume less stuff. Yeah. We're trying to get back. It's hilarious. We've achieved peak and pinnacle society only to suddenly realize how efficient and in tune with the world (laughs) earlier civilizations (laughs) were. You know, like we're just we're getting to the peak of civilization or, you know, some sort of critical mass and returning to a much more primitive way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. And primitive by that, I just mean more simple. Simple. Yeah. Use less stuff. Have less stuff. Leave less stuff around. Make less stuff. So you're good at throwing stuff out then? I'm pretty great at it. Really? Pretty great at it. When my brain focuses on it, I'm impressed with myself. I have a very high ability to see a room, go through, and know what to keep and what not to keep. So you were sort of Marie Kondo before Marie Kondo was... No. <clears throat> no. No. She has. She's another... I just mean that when it comes time to clean, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I don't ac- accumulate junk like everybody does. I just right. am really good at just paring it down and... Gifted, even. Gifted? Oh, my Gifted. God. If you didn't have a successful But can movie. I make a mess? Absolutely. Like, absolutely, my house can look like it's in shambles. I'm just very, very good at... I, I need it to be kind of neat. I need things... Mm-hmm. I need closets not to be dark, scary places. I need them to be... Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get it, because I, I always appreciate, like, if I go to a hotel, I go, oh, we've got a nice, clean slate here. 
Yeah, because it, it clutters my brain. Yeah. I, I have that, I do have that Marie Kondo thing that if there's clutter in my house, stacks of stuff, or the closet has stuff shoved in it, I don't feel right. Mm-hmm. I don't feel good. I did read the chapter, but well, I read the whole book, but I remember the chapter about having laryngitis, and <laughs> it was like, because that that always strikes me. Like I always think of like the show must go on. It's like, well, if a singer literally can't make noise with their mouth, <laughs> no, the show still goes on. <laughs> like fucking, you find a way to make the show go crazy. on. Crazy. I mean, I've performed sick and everything, but I just feel like I wonder if I just wonder if that's like an expression. But show must go on. Okay. I know that's an expression, but can we rethink it maybe? But. Yeah, right? You would think, you would hope, but that's not really how it works. It ends up if you cancel a show, you just have to make it back up some other time mm-hmm. and or you have to pay for it. I mean, well, right. my insurance, I think, only covers 80% of the first cancellation. See, I don't have that. I don't even know about that. I've read about that insurance in your book. I have to have it. Yeah. I have to have it. But I don't want to use it. No. I absolutely will do almost anything to make the gig happen. And that is after being tortured into making gigs happen. You know, instead of rejecting it, I almost became an an adopter of that mentality. You know, I I want to, I want to do what I'm there to do. Yeah. I read um, Henry Rollins's uh, Black Flag Diary, and then he talked about a time where he got scolded by his bandmate because he kind of blew off a show. Because there weren't a lot of people there, and he's like, "You fucking give a hundred percent, no matter if it's one person." And I kind of sometimes, you know, you see, you get situations where, you're like, "All right, I'm not pumped. I can't say I'm pumped." There's seven people there, but you got If you blow those mi- you blow their minds. You, That's what you I'm Give them a great show, then seven people walk out and go, "Holy shit, there was only seven people there," and they fucking really. That is me. That is me to a T. That's my. That's exactly what I'm doing. I don't care how many people are in the audience. We're gonna do the show, the best show we've got in us right. every night, every single night. I can't live any other way. I'm gonna let you go though. But um, you're doing Seth Meyers show now. Doing Seth Meyers. That's yeah. fun. Do you like doing TV? I do like doing television. I do. Do they make you do the song like four times or something? Or is... you do camera blocking, so you'll rehearse it a number of times, uh-huh. and then. When the show's on, it's just that one time. I've seen it go twice. I've I've been there when it has, we've re-recorded. It wasn't actually for my song. I'm not going to say who it was for, but okay. I've seen it happen. Um, but yeah, no, you get one shot. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that is the weird thing about TV. It's like, on some level, it's like, well, you're just doing, one, I'll, you know, I'm just doing four minutes of comedy, or you're just doing one song, but you're like, I'm playing to more people tonight than I, I'd have to go on tour for three years. It is Maybe intimidating. More. It's definitely intimidating. I did the the scariest example of that in my career was when I sang God Bless America at the opening game of the White Sox World Series in 2005. Like that was just me and my guitarist out there on that field and how many millions of people oh. are watching that opening game right. of the World oh Series? My God. Yeah. It was mind-blowing and I made us rehearse like 27 times Mm -hmm. in the hotel room and I kept visualizing what it was going to feel like so I was preparing myself for the nerves I was imagining the terror so that when it happened I would kind of be conscious and my guitarist who was also my boyfriend was much more blasé because he'd 
toured in bands that did stadium shows a lot. Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, I'm not worried about it. I've played to a ton of people and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we get out there and it goes so fast. I mean, it's like, okay, get in position. Okay, you're on. Like, it's so fast. And it's just all this pressure. And you get out there and I was definitely vibrating at some weird frequency of heightened terror. Yeah. But I could stay conscious and I can remember it and I can, I felt that performance so I got to actually experience because sometimes when things are so scary you almost black out you don't even remember it and my poor guitarist who'd been so blase about it he said that he could not remember what chords he was supposed to play he just completely lost it and I don't know how he got through the performance because he didn't make any slip ups but when we got off he was just he was just a like he was devastated he was like crumpled like oh god i didn't even know what was going on and it's true like you have to prepare your body for the fear not just the content yeah it's it's funny it's like he's played stadium shows but you haven't sung god bless america to worlds i mean you've played stadium (laughs) shows where people are excited to see you and know that you're there and pay to see you it's like you know and you probably didn't do god bless america no it was very scary Um, well that sound that sound i'm you must have felt great when that was over, though. I right? did. It's one of the favorite, my favorite moments from my career ever. That's cool. Um, well, thank you for being here. Is there anything you want to plug? You got a few shows. This I'm gonna. This is probably gonna come out today. Um, check me out on Seth Meyers tonight. Oh yeah. And uh, we're gonna play Good Side, my new single, and my book, my oh, yeah, memoir, Horror, Story, yeah. Horror Stories, is out in bookstores. Right I now. read it. I recommend it. Um, if I was gonna write a Amazon review would be a good one. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm not going to be doing that. Uh, well, although they'll probably, if I put my name on it, it'll probably move a lot of units. <laughs> well, then feel free. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Liz. Thank you so much. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. And we're back. That's my DJ voice. Uh, we're back. Hope you enjoyed that talk with Liz Fair. I was a little nervous. Hopefully it didn't show, but I was nervous because I never met her and I admire her. But, you know, nervousness is part of life, isn't it? It is. This podcast is brought to you by Starburns. Go to starburns.audio to find out about all their podcasts. And we'll see you soon, hopefully. Bye. Starbanks Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.